Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Just like last week, we will attempt to make this episode shorter than the film, so we will only be talking about Roman's Chariot's Betrayal and Vengeance for three hours. It's been her on Zach on Film. Oh, my God. Well, okay, so the movie is what? Uh, three, three hours, three hours, three hours and 42 minutes. Yeah, something like that. Minutes. But you can take out 20 minutes of that because the first 15 is your... Um, yeah, the first seven is a lot of fanfare. Oh, then you've got your intermission. And then you've got credits. How long is the intermission? Is the intermission like five minutes? It's like five minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's like five. Yeah. Or at least the one that's in the iTunes version that we watched. Yeah. Right. I don't, it, well, how it, come they didn't... This would just, I just didn't understand this. So right. I think... I think the overture and the credits were about 10 minutes. Yes, the overture so, was so, a good six minutes. Yeah, so then you get... So there's a reel, right? Probably. Right. Why don't they just make the intermission a full like a, ten, a full 10-minute reel? And just like, okay, Because done. they're giving you the full Ben-Hur experience that people had. In I mean, you can just add five minutes to it. I mean, you're already out. Where he, you, he means, you he know, means originally. Why didn't they make... They just project it. You exit with a four-year-old Yeah, I don't baby. know. That's a good question because I guess... Um, people know that they need to get up, get to the bathroom and get back or that maybe many people don't have to use the bathroom. Um, just get up and get stretch. a concessions, get up and stretch really quick. You don't cause the, the overture is welcome to our production. Sure. Um, and so people are going to be coming in still 10 that, minutes before that how the they movie. Did it? They, it was like the, in, like the, the overture was the trailers. No, not the trailers, because I'm sure... Was there still trailers? I don't it's know. The, the, the overture, not, the overture yes. is a very slow, uh... <laughs> Darkening of the house lights. Okay. You got to remember, too, that this movie, and we're talking about Ben-Hur, um, this movie came out at a time when the studios were, like, totally screwed. Oh, yeah. Left and right. Yeah, they said MGM was, like, out of money. Yeah. They made this, like, last-ditch effort. I mean, the lion doesn't even roar in this. (laughs) Well, there's a reason for that. Um, Frozen lion. Well, no. The the reason why the lion doesn't (laughs) roar is because... They thought it would be too abrupt uh, right up next to the birth of, the, of Jesus. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but he's the lion of Judea. <laughs> yes, but he is, he is a calm lion. Um, so, he is a lion unruffled. So this was, I think, maybe the only time. Well, there have been a couple of others where they've, there's a Tom and Jerry cartoon that, where they turn Tom into the, to the lion. Mm-hmm. But this yeah. is the first time that you never see the lion roar in the MGM logo. Um, All of the Chuck Jones cartoons had Tom as the lion. But the um, the thing was, the studio system had collapsed, so they don't even have their own distribution system there. That that screwed them over. Then you've got television. Mm-hmm. Then you've got, I don't know what else is going on. The pool hall. The, the Greasers. Du- the, 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 Greasers. The latest doodad. The latest doodad. The what do we had? Korean War going on uh, at this time? 
Not in Korean, 59. Not no. in 59. It had been over for a couple of years. So uh, you got a lot of stuff hurting the studio system right now. And the mm-hmm. only way they can bring people in is let's make it a spectacle. Let's make it bigger and better than anything you can find on television. So that's why we've got a 70 millimeter print, super wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we shooting in uh, Cinema 65 or whatever it is for this movie? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> uh, and that's why you have this overture welcoming, welcoming people into the theater. And they probably didn't show trailers before this movie. Uh, I don't know. In 1959, would they still have been doing like the newsreel well, and the cartoon? No, and, like, no, no. But what I'm saying is they probably didn't do that for this movie because it was such a spectacle. Right. And um, they did that again, and we'll bring this back up again, I'm pretty sure, when, uh, if I remember correctly, when Phantom Menace came out, there was a stipulation that they could only have, like, five minutes of something ahead of the movie, and that was it. Or maybe it was they couldn't even show any trailers. They had to oh, just really? get right into the movie, and Lucas demanded that. Mm-hmm. Go back and look, and look that up. But uh, there have been a number of movies where we have a... In fact, we've watched a couple of them. Um, the other long movie that we watched... No, no, no. The other one. Uh, uh, Brother of a Nation. No, no. Uh, <laughs> Lord, yeah, no. Lawrence of Arabia. That's yeah. yeah it did have the. It's a longer it one. had a. Uh, it yeah. had a sure and an intermission. Yeah. Yeah. intermission. Uh, heck, uh, the, the, it's a mad man, 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 man. Yes, it also yeah, did it also too. Had, yeah. What's interesting though is uh, where the intermission took place in this movie. It's like, and there's only an hour left. Why don't you guys get up and yeah. stretch for? You know, for five minutes. You've already been sitting here for two hours. At least in, uh, in like in JFK, that, that was the movie that I've been in a theater where they actually gave you the intermission. It came in a part where here's everything leading up to the court case. Let's take your intermission, come mm-hmm. back, and now the second half of the movie is the court case, right. which I thought was nice. Makes this sense. one, though, it was like the intermission hit, and I was like, wait a minute, there's only like... 45 yeah, minutes much to an hour left bit. in this movie. Why are we the intermission, the intermission hit at like two hours and 30 minutes because yeah. I yeah, was no, there's so... literally an hour left in the movie when yeah. the intermission hits. That's why I was like, well, there's probably 10 minutes of credits. So there's less than an hour left, mm-hmm. but whatever. So Zach, tell us the story of uh, Judah Ben-Hur. Uh, I don't even, it's so long. It's a, it's I a guess story like... of the Christ. Did you know that? It's a story about Jesus. Well, Jesus Jesus is tangentially involved in the background. Oh, no, no, no. This movie is... And this is funny because Rodrigo came over earlier today. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, Rodrigo, you know what this movie is is the equivalent to, right? And then Zach walked in 10 minutes later. And what would you say this movie was, Zach? Oh, I said this is Forrest Gump of the Jesus story. Yep. Forrest, <laughs> Forrest Gump. This yeah. is the Bible. And that's Monty exactly Python's what, yeah. Life of Brian done earlier. Yeah, we had a discussion about yeah, that we I think, before, before we, we before we called you. That was that's a little bit different in that in the Forrest Gump analogy, Ben Hur is bumping into Pontius Pilate, he's bumping into oh Jesus, he's bumping into one of the wise men, um, yep. and he's just you know bumping into all these people that you know from reading the Bible. Whereas Life of Brian is like, oh, we're gonna go follow Jesus. Oh yeah, well we're just gonna go follow, follow Brian, and Brian's like, oh, don't follow me. Life of Brian is like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in yeah, the yeah. Bible. No. Yeah. And we also uh, mentioned that. Before. Yeah, we. Yeah. And what did you call it, Rodrigo? Uh, oh crap! What did I call it? Um, yeah, like uh, Pontius Pilate and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess the story of Ben Hur. There's this uh, prince of Judea. He's friends with this buddy buddy guy who's coming back to rule over that province. They get in a little uh, a little hissy fit fight. Uh, he sends them away. To work in the gallows of a of a Roman ship 
where he will most likely die. Newsflash, he doesn't die because the movie would have been a lot shorter if he had. He's rowing, rowing, rowing the boat. Uh, a new general comes on the boat. Um, they like bond over because he's been there for so long and he rows like a, like a bad mother. And uh, he ends up saving the guy and becomes like his son in, in Rome. And they go to Rome and they're pretty cool uh, together. But something is stuck back in Ben-Hur's mind. He has to go save his mom and his sister because uh, little prissy pants back in Judea also put them in prison. Sebulba. Yes. Yeah. Masala. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Masala. Same thing. Uh, so I love his chicken. He takes the quest back to Judea, uh, finds some old friends, uh, meets a, a guy with a lot of cool horses on the way there, mm-hmm. uh, ends up I'm he's ends up going to race them in the big race in uh Jerusalem uh, against Masala because uh he has been told that his mom and sister are dead and now he must avenge them because there's no rules inside the arena and when you leave the arena uh you can do whatever you want <laughs> like uh, uh a, a a Judea prince can kill a Roman officer and no one's really going to bat an eye and, Eight men and thirty-two horses will yes. enter. One man and four horses. Yes. And um, uh, uh, so ju- big, big spectacle. We'll get to of a, of a chariot race takes place. Uh, what's the guy's name? Masala. I, I just said it. Masala. Oh uh, no, Masala gets trampled by a bunch of horses. Um, before he dies, he's like, "Yo, Ben Hur, guess what? Race ain't over yet. Your mom and sister, they're lepers." No! Yeah. You know what they say about lepers, Zach? Uh, I'm they can't not change their spots. <laughs> Anyways, uh, um, Ben-Hur uh, is troubled, and then uh, he, his mom and sister have leprosy, and they don't want him to see him. Um, but then uh, Jesus comes to town, and... Uh, then we get real Forrest Gumpy with the Jesus story in Jerusalem. Um, I know that man. He, he gets he gets tried, crucified. They're in the background. Uh, rain, leprosy's gone. In the a movie. End. In the movie. <laughs> Charlton Heston falls on his knees and looks at the Statue of Liberty. You bastards! Yeah. yeah so um, Jesus is a badass in in this movie. At one point, isn't he though? Because. Uh, when so masala it's this like little minor thing it was an accident that uh, hit the new governor this tile fell off the roof and hit the governor mm-hmm. and masala uses this as a chance to get rid of ben her who he was once friends with but basically said i need you to keep the jews calm so that they can just obey roman law and jude ben her is like screw that i can talk to him but i'm not gonna you know tell him what to do and uh, so he gets sent off into the galley, like you said. But along the way, he has to go on this this march across the desert. And uh, they stop off at one place for a rest. And the town mm-hmm. folk come out and they're giving water to all the all the prisoners. And uh, somebody comes out to give water to Ben-Hur. And, and the, the guard goes, no water for him. And then this man in this robe and long hair. Red walks hair, up. Walks up. Yeah. Gives uh, gives Ben Hur some the water, and Ben Hur sees his face and is just taken in by it. 
And then uh, the Roman guards coming up and said, hey, no water for him. I told you this. And they do this shot where like Jesus stands up and he's like eight foot tall. And the Roman guards like, um, okay. It's it's like a total rock moment. He like raises his eyebrows and the guy backs down. Well, but that's the that's the other thing, too, in this movie is we never see Jesus's face. No, Jesus flowing here. But and Jesus I, just stands there and yeah. faces him down. It's beautiful. I, I guess uh, it's pretty crazy that moment when you're like, "Oh my god, that's Jesus!" <laughs> he, and look how tall he is. I guess uh, forgot to mention. Uh, so after the overture, the first, other than the credits, and then like the first ten minutes is actually like the the birth story of Christ. Yep, birth of Jesus. Right. Forgot to put, throw that in there because uh, that becomes important later. Yeah, it becomes important because I guess. Uh, maybe tangentially like Life of Brian, uh, um, oh, what, Bethuselah, Methuselah, whatever the old guy with the white hairs. Balthazar. Balthazar. Balthazar, yeah, Balthazar. Uh, mistakes been her for, uh, Jesus because they're, like, born at the same time and, um, seem at the well and stuff. Like two blocks apart. Yeah. Yeah. Right down, right down the manger aisle. So why then, let me ask you this. That's a pretty good story of just a guy, right? I mean, we've seen that movie called Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, yeah, it's really, yeah, so it's why, a good story. <laughs> why then the story of the Christ? Why is this called Ben-Hur, the story of the Christ? Because uh, the book was. <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to figure it out. It has to, it's really a reason that exists outside of the movie. It, it almost has to, right? Yeah. Um, because this isn't the, st- uh, a story of the Christ. Right. Um, it is actually the story of Judah Ben, who is like, what's up guys? Mm. And then he gets sent to the galleys and then makes his way back as a super cool prince of Rome or, or you know, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no, it's like, it happens concurrently with the passion, mm-hmm. right? but there's no reason why it should be subtitled that other than something like either a marketing thing or because they were like, oh, this movie is disrespectful or something like that. And they're like, we need more, we need more Jesus in this. Was was the was the film actually subtitled? Well, it, I know the it, book says, was. it says at the beginning no, when the you're watching was. when you're watching the beginning of the movie, yeah. it says That's the story true. of the Christ. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think in some ways it's kind of a safety net because you can tell, you know, that the greatest story ever told, which came out Chunks in '65. This story, yeah, in 1959 in America. Big chunks of this story are pretty much known to most, if not all, your viewing public. Mm-hmm. But you are also telling this, you know, this tale of, of heroism and fighty fighty and, and one strong man against an evil empire. And the way they handle Jesus in here, the fact that they won't put Jesus center stage is it feels kind of partly like an issue of respect and partly like that's not the story they're telling. They're telling a story that has all that in it. And, you know, this man's life is affected by the existence of Jesus right. and, and you know, the bits and pieces. And I think that's the thing that they're trying to hammer home is here's somebody that doesn't want to be that only wants to be identified with this. But by the end, he has come to Christ. Right. Or he has right. found Jesus. Literally. Like, oh, look, yeah, literally. He's, yeah. He's oh, right up there. Guy. 
That guy helped me once. He gave me some water. I will do the same and give him yeah, water again, back. So, so you know, from a story standpoint, it's like it's really off-putting. Yeah, like uh, to an audience that is very familiar and very involved with the story of Jesus Christ, they must have been like, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to to figure out what you could uh, compare it to. But yeah, it's like, oh, this is the part where Jesus does this. This is the part where Jesus mm-hmm. does that. And they're like, oh, they're all like very like stunned by Jesus. That's great. But if you're not, or if you don't care or anything mm-hmm. else, it's like, it feels really weird and forced. There's this mm-hmm. other character whose face you never see mm-hmm. that just like r- does these really impactful <laughs> things to the characters just by them looking at him. Right. And it's never explained why. Yeah. No one ever saw us. Oh, no one ever says. Oh, by the way, mm-hmm. that's the son of God. I mean, they do right. kind of yeah, they mention they, they it. Yeah, they keep there. talking about. They keep mentioning that. Oh, there's this guy that claims to be the one true God, and of course they kind of compare um, Ben Hur to that. When you know they're always making fun of him of Oh, you Jews, you are only with the one God. Right. And right. When he wins mm-hmm. the chariot race, and Pontius Pilate is sitting there going, Oh, today we honor you as the one God or whatever right. that they're going on. So they, they are making these parallels and, and, um, Balthazar or whatever his name is, is looking for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, the sheik, um, who has the horses and basically is the backer of Ben Hur, right. Ben Hur. Sheik blackface. He knows, oh, yeah. he knows oh, that there's this guy, Jesus running around, uh, doing these things, but there's never any talk of miracles. Right. There's talk of, you need to listen to this guy. Uh, right. But never do they mention any miracles. They never mention that he's caused trouble or that uh, he's denouncing Rome or do you know tearing up the marketplace or anything like that. So, like Jesus is n- actually not a big part of the story, which right. makes the ending feel like such a giant cop out to me. Yeah. Well, when you look at this, though, I mean, Ben Hur is a a Hebrew patronym. This is a this is a Jewish character who is in mm. a Jewish faith. And he spends this whole movie going through this stuff, and at the end, this Jewish guy learns, you know, in the story terms, the truth of of what's going on with, you know, Jesus and the the crucifixion and the resurrection and all the happy stuff. You know, on some level, it could be seen as maybe this Jewish person who is, in the story's terms, misguided being brought around to the quote-unquote truth. That's that's exactly what it is, and... and, uh, there were several, critics. you know, in 1959. <laughs> well, you're right. You know, um, but, you know, there were several critics that came out and said that, yeah, we get what you're saying. You don't have to beat us over the head with it. Another mm-hmm. critic was like, this is watching like watching a being stuck watching a four hour long train and you can't do anything <laughs> about it. And then uh, John Pym, uh, who wrote for Time Out, he's a British film critic, called this a four hour Sunday school lesson, mm-hmm. which he <laughs> was kind of dismissive of the movie. So. Without a doubt, this is a, a, I truly believe that this is a religious film, very much like the Ten Commandments or the greatest story ever told sure. and those kind of things. I don't know if we were talking earlier or whatever, but Matthew and I were talking about how we feel pretty sure that we watch this during a week-long Easter special yes. mm. when we Over the kids, course of like nine days. Where you sure. would watch the greatest story ever told, Ben-Hur, and then wrap it up with the Ten Commandments. Um, I think that's pretty much the way they did it for Easter. Yeah. Interesting. So like they kind of did it in like re- <laughs> reverse chronological <laughs> order. Like, I think they did it from yeah, popularity because Ten Commandments was like the the big one. Was the big one to watch. Uh, okay. And then I think it was 
early in the week you watched the greatest story ever told, or at right. least you know that's what they aired. Mm-hmm. And I think it was one channel that was doing all of it, like ABC or something. Was just well, there were only three channels all <laughs> week long. Here's religious programming for you. So right, and then CBS had like the Charlie Brown Christmas or something. And I think the problem is you can't run Ben Hur and Ten Commandments back to back. No, because no, no. it just blends together. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of an endless thing. But I remember when I was 16 and I sat down to watch this movie and literally it just ended. So, Zach, you said that this movie was like MGM's last ditch effort. Well, the, I I remember reading like they put a bunch of money into it because the budget was like 15 yeah. million dollars. They pumped a bunch of money in it because they were like they had close to make a to lake. Bank. They had to build <laughs> a lake do, in, in Italy. Yeah. I mean, and you can see it. You can see the production value they in this. Yeah, it's hundred, huge. The sets are huge. Hundred yes. like seamstress people just making costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two hundred artists and sculptors, sculptors to make all of the art and everything we see in Rome, and then at the chariot race, yeah. uh, they they, said they use something like ten thousand extras. Yeah, something like to that. make this movie. Did yeah. they did they build that whole set, or was there a matte painting involved? No, there's times where you can see that there is a matte painting, mat, but yeah. a lot of times it's you know they have to have. 10,000 people milling around and cheering in the stairs. And yes. they said that's amazing. Uh, that's, they filmed that's uh, a lot of this in like Italy. Yeah, they had to because that's what the director was like. Yeah. Hey, if you want me to direct, we got to do it in, yeah. in Rome. And there was apparently it was like hard economic times in the country and they needed all these extras. So like 7,500 people showed when they're doing the chariot race showed up to be extras in this, but they only needed like two or 3,000 or something for this scene. And so, like half the people don't that showed up to try to get money to, to sit and watch this movie get filmed, uh, got turned away, and they started rioting. The police wow, had to get geez. called in, and they like they were like shutting them out from the Coliseum or whatever. So just just also in kind of comparison, we're talking about how over the top this was in production. The uh, the ships in the big scene, like I said, they literally made a lake, mm-hmm. and yes. uh, to do this in, they had forty ships. <laughs> Most oh. of them were, and so this is miniature. Now keep this mm-hmm. in mind, miniature. 175 feet long oh, for the miniature. Yeah. That's crazy. That's amazing. I mean, when you think about this, is this is we're almost going to go broke. MGM is running low on funds. What should we do? Let's mount the most extensive production ever done and build Rome. And I mean, sure, it pays off, well, but think about the, the cojones that took. One could make the comparison of uh, Nero and, you know, their plane while the uh, while the city burned. I, I don't think it's that. It was, I, I think this was, was a last by effort. You, you, you think this was them being saying, like, I, I, you think this was them saying, well, we're going under. We might as well get as in debt as possible before that happens. I think this is them saying this is this the story. Studio is burning. Mm-hmm. Let's just go crazy all out and see what we can do to turn this around. I, I, I think it's I think it's them being like, we have a gallon of gas left. Let's just blow <laughs> it up and see how far that gets us. Right, and you know it paid off. They made like six times their budget. Yeah, it was like the, it was the highest. And this movie is nineteen fifty nine dollars, where a dollar was actually yeah. worth eighty seven cents. Well, and and it was the still the it, at that time. Um, Second highest grossing film of all time, mm-hmm. and I don't know Which where it, I don't know where it falls like, today. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if it's still right it's behind Gone with the Wind, it's not in adjusted it's dollars. Not, it's not in. Adjust- I looked at the I looked at the top ten for adjusted today. It's not. Do you, in, it's in the top not 10? even the top ten. I don't think so. Okay, no. So, um, uh, but 
Go ahead. Um, well, I was I was going to turn to the chariot race uh, and just talking about because the shooting for this movie was like eight months. Yes. That's how long they took to film this. The chariot race scene was three with like five weeks of filming. Uh, and they're filming, they said, 12 to 14 hours a day. Right. Six days a week. Right. All in this chariot thing. People had to learn. Charlton Heston learned how to drive one of those four horse chariot things mm. and someone else. Nice. And they had a bunch of stunt people and they had like a thousand horses. Um, they, the shooting ratio for the chariot scene is 234 to 1. Wow. That's they ended amazing. up, I mean, there's over a million feet of film in this yes. movie of raw footage yeah. shot. Um, and most of it is, is on screen. Ben-Hur apparently is number 13 adjusted, 795 okay. million adjusted. Gross. Wow. So uh, some other crazy facts about this chariot scene. Because they're shooting in 70 millimeter, mm-hmm. they have to maintain a certain distance mm-hmm. away just to get minimum focus, mm-hmm. which is 50 feet. They have to stay 50 feet away from everything at, at any time to make sure that it's in focus. So they're wow. running around this stadium with these horses in this in the uh, arena and they had the, some italian car that was trying to stay in front of the horses even at flat out speed the horses were catching up to nice. the car they like brought a, in an, like an, a topolino i don't know what it was. <laughs> they brought in an american car the mm-hmm. horses were still faster than the american car and so that's why a lot of the close-up stuff that we see are very short pieces mm-hmm. of the writers because it's like we can't get go out of focus yeah we can't get any closer in this um <laughs> that's cool they had they brought in two uh other directors to shoot uh like a lot of the wide stuff and crowd reactions what they said is apparently like a shot for shot remake of the 24 or 34 whenever they first made this film like the, the crowd reactions and stuff yeah, is yeah. all like the same right um, wow. So they shot all of that, and then they edited that all together, and then showed uh, the director and everyone else where to put in all of the uh, uh, of the close-ups, which is which is interesting. Wow! That's so amazing. now, then, did you compare this? Did you go frame by frame and compare this to uh, the pod race scene, which is exactly <laughs> no, I what didn't. this is. No, but yeah, you we talked about that last week Simple. after we finished talking about the kid. Uh, but yeah, this is totally like it, cause I haven't watched Phantom Menace for since it came out in 3D in theaters. Um, but it's, but if you know that going into it, there's so many even just like set things or just the way they show different yeah. elements. I was like, oh my God, this is still like the uh, lap markers. I don't know why them mm-hmm. pointing on the fish just reminded me of those weird like yeah, yeah. glyph sure, things sure. to show yeah. the different yeah. uh, things. And you well, have, even... have Pontius Pilate with uh, Jabba like, mm-hmm. sitting up there yeah. with all of his Pontius the goonies. Yeah, Pontius well, the but even, even, the, even the fight with Anakin and Sebulba where their two pod things yeah. inter, interlock yeah. together. I mean, yeah. when you're... And the two-headed announcer in Rome. Well, they did <laughs> have those two guys with flags up at the top mm-hmm. um, doing their yeah. thing. You know what, what I found fascinating about this, and this is something that I picked up, I think, when we saw this in college. You know the point where... Uh, Ben Hur's chariot actually ramps, yeah, up, ramps over, up over the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the guy flies over the thing. That's the stuntman nearly nearly dying, flying over the front of the thing. Yeah, because he wasn't 
properly braced and then climbing back in. Yep. And everybody thought this man was dead. And apparently this sequence was so great that they had to use it in the film. Right. I'm like, dude, the, the man nearly killed himself. Of course we're going to put it in the movie. Oh, yeah. Now, when you, but, oh. you know, when we talk about Star Wars and, and Ben-Hur and the, and the chariot race in particular, um, which takes about 30 minutes of screen time. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. In both movies. Yeah. 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 I don't know how much of an influence Ben-Hur had on George Lucas, but we know that Star Wars by itself is an homage to, and Indiana Jones is an homage to everything that George Lucas loved and Steven Spielberg loved as kids mm-hmm. when they were growing up. So I would imagine at 59, Lucas has to be just about ready to go into college or just wrapping up college at some point in the late 50s. Um mm-hmm. This movie had to have some kind of influence on him to say when he's doing this bit, oh, well, I'm going to do an homage of Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm. But well, look, at Anakin is driven by the same thing that Ben-Hur is, the loss of his mother mm-hmm. or the seeming loss of his mother. Right. You know, you get through the whole thing. Uh, Anakin, of course, is, is born the chosen one. Ben-Hur is born one of the chosen people. I mean, what's yep, he, 15, and, yep. 16? Later, on, later on, Anakin comes back and slaughters, slaughters everyone that ever yeah. bothered his mom. Yep. That's right. I mean, there. I think there are a lot of parallels there. Um, it, and, of course, you have Jar Jar and you have the extensive use of brown face here. I mean, there's the racist <laughs> aspect that has to carry over. Yeah, thank goodness they were able to find a uh, m- Middle Eastern person with uh, blonde hair and blue eyes to, uh, yeah. to play Ben-Hur. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how they pulled that off. Well, yeah. and that's well, and, and that's the amazing thing is like you know Paul Newman was was uh, going to be Ben Hur at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think really? they wanted Marlon Brando at one point to be Ben Hur. Well, we've yeah. got a movie coming out soon: Exodus, Gods and Kings. Oh, yeah, and uh, Christian Bale Christian is Bale. Moses in it. Mm-hmm. And well, like, we also had uh, actual the Moses movie, Noah. Noah that just came out. Yep. No, no, with, uh, it's like you look at it and it's like the you know DreamWorks like the Prince of Egypt is like the actually the only movie that I've mm-hmm. ever seen that had like accurate skin tones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even then, they're all voiced by white people. Yeah. But think about this. You know, the the real missed opportunity is Leslie Nielsen not playing the part of Missala. Yeah, because he said, Leslie Nielsen actually read for that role and did a screen test. Ooh. And can you imagine how <laughs> awesome that would be with his little fart machine? That would be cool. <sighs> I think they said uh, who was the there was somebody who was supp- wanted to be or they Kirk wanted Douglas to be wanted to be Kirk Douglas yes. was vying for was really wanting to be it, but then they went with um, Charlton Heston. Yeah, Charlton Heston, who's really actually kind of the same guy. Paul Newman said he didn't want to do it because he didn't have the legs to be wearing a, a skirt. A, a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you know, he was busy drinking Bert, for six Bert years. Lancaster turned it down because uh, he thought it was belittling Christianity. Makes really? sense. Yeah. Wow. I, w- I mean, I would th- say this movie, like, and, and, and that makes oh, sense. Oh, no, because like, every time you talk about, you know, one God, everybody's making fun of it. Yeah, this had to be like a prevailing idea at the time because the movie... Actually, again, and and that's why a lot of the scenes with Jesus or that that revolve around Jesus feel so disingenuous. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. here's this story that they want to tell, a, a moment in time in which not just Christianity but all Abrahamic religions, you know, basically mm-hmm. Judaism, because Christianity didn't exist yet, um, 
were like crap. Nobody wanted right, them. Right. Nobody liked yeah. them. Nobody wanted to, ha- to have anything with them. They were all idiots. Jesus comes around. He's an idiot. He's terrible. And that's the story that it's trying to tell. And in a lot of ways, it's satisfying for lots of reasons. It's satisfying because Christians watched this movie and they were like, oh, ha ha, how little did they know that he's the one true God, which is right, reasonable. Right. It's mm-hmm. your religion. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and people who aren't Christians are like, oh, yeah, eventually Christianity would become this huge world power and very important, right? And everything about it is fine, but there's also this, like, thin, mucusy film on top of, like, <laughs> them just being, like, so scared. So scared yeah. that Christians were going to see this and say, wait a minute, how come all these Romans mm-hmm. don't love, don't automatically love Jesus? How come everybody doesn't automatically love Jesus well, in this I, movie? I think in the time period, and, then, you know, we have a lot more um, openness about religion uh, today. Mm. But Matthew made a joke about uh, Jewish people in the 1950s. Um, yeah. You know, if you tried to talk about anything other than Christianity, sure, then you were going to hell, right? Yeah. Sure. So in this case, I think it's, it's fine to, to look at it and say, oh, yeah, look at those Romans. They're the ones that killed Jesus. Oh, yeah, right. look at the Jews. <laughs> yeah, they're the ones that killed Jesus. And it's just like, well – there's no other way to portray this movie except in the way that they did it if they're going to put yeah, Jesus in the film. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would argue that you could cut out everything having to do with Jesus and it would still be a solid film. Oh, it absolutely would be, mm-hmm. especially the part where um, they find his mother and sister in the gulag yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and they just leave him there because you don't see them taking them right, out. Right. Just cut out everything that happens after that. Ben-Hur gets super mad, kills Masala. Masala says, the race is not over. Credits. Yeah. Like, just make this, like, mm. a super sad film about this guy who got taken away from his house, tries to get his life back, and it just doesn't work. He's got nothing. Yeah. He gets in a fight mm-hmm. with his super attractive girlfriend about it, and then, like, she's like, I don't know who you are anymore. He wanders off well, into that's the, the desert. Thing. He was going to wander off into the desert. Yeah. yeah. Let him wander off into the absolutely, desert. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would have been such a strong yeah. statement. Like, that kind of, like... You know, like a a conquering state does this to the people it conquers. Right. I mean, what a huge statement that would yeah. have been. And I, to me, I think Ben Hur could have got to the uh, the 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 pacifist mindset mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. the Jesus in there. I think yeah. his character development in the way like he shaped the beginning of the film, uh, seeing his once friend. Uh, deformed and bloodied, well, essentially see, at his. Hang, I think his character arc could have pushed him in that pacifist well, world just from seeing that. And it would have because, for example, and it would have been a lot stronger if Esther had convinced mm, her right. to drop everything. She's like, right. "I don't know who you are anymore. You have nothing left except for me. You're going mm. to lose me if you continue your crusade." And he goes like. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, if you and to... then they get together, and that would be like that quote unquote happy ending. ending. Yeah. yeah, but going back to the political side of whoever was mentioning the politics, mm-hmm. uh, Masala left. He grew up mm-hmm. in Judea, right? Went to Rome, came back, changed. Sure. Mm-hmm. What happens to Ben Hur? Yep. Absolutely. He is forced out of Judea. He goes to Rome and becomes a Roman citizen. Yeah. They say you are a Roman citizen. Not only that. This general, I want to adopt you as my son. That's right. You have yep. all the power that I have. You are a Roman. A cool ring. 
Yeah, yeah. Cool a, a Roman name. Yeah. Again, mm-hmm. ah, such like, again, so lost on people mm-hmm. that this idea that this is what happened to the Native Americans in the United States. Or just States. any conquering. Just any conquered people. Mm-hmm. It's like, you come over here, you're a slave. It's like, oh, you're good. You're actually one of the good ones. Here's a Roman name. As opposed to a Christian name. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, here's like this power we now bring into our own. But but Ben Hur is still like a like sea urchin shaped peg in a round, you know, mm-hmm. hole. And like yeah. he doesn't fit in and you just he just can't do it. It's it's like it would have been such a magnificent thing, like, for this movie to just play on that subtext. And in the end it just kind of drops it over to basically clock in with the same ending as the greatest story ever told. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because to me, watching it, uh, because if if anyone's ever gone up a church or been to a church around Easter or anything, like you see, like we're talking about Forrest Gump. In in the Catholic church, you actually have to perform. Oh, yeah, yeah. You You have to perform the catechisms and everything. You have to do Mm -hmm. the The trial of the stations. Jesus, yeah. Well, no, you actually... You actually, they, they perform this thing where you are the rabble of the town, oh. and the priest is Pontius Pilate, essentially. He's like, do you, get do you to- want me to save Jesus, or do you want me to save, uh, what's the other guy? Barabbas. 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 Which and I was US- disappointed we didn't actually see Barabbas. In the way this movie was yes. shaping, I was like, where is Barabbas? Like, there's yeah. no reason Barabbas shouldn't have been in this. Right. Like, yeah, just Barabbas, watching this, I was Barabbas just like. should have been like his friend. Yes. Yeah. Because I was just watching this. I'm like, they're in Rome. I'm like, Pontius Pilate. Okay, that that that's a good one. And then I just almost lost my mind when they said they had leprosy. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" It's like, "Okay, I know how it's going to end. Whatever. I don't care." Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, oh. I saw that coming from my yeah. I was like, "Oh, come on." Especially when the movie continued to not end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, no." The movie continued to not end for like an hour. So wait, um, in church you actually yeah, so you, you actually get to go up and you, you actually get to go crucify yes. him, yes. crucify you, him. You read in this and it's like, um, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? Barabbas, free him, free him. And uh, what should we do with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. And you do that in the church so wow. you can kind of see how this is. It's really weird and always disturbed me. <laughs> and that's probably why I don't go to church anymore and why I don't have. Wow. Maybe I need to be stumbling in the desert thirsty and... Maybe. I if it helps. faith again. No, you probably don't. I was disturbed. Haired man. I was disturbed when the sheik put the Star of David on him 1,200 years before it became a thing. But oh, that's, sure. you know. Well, and, and you look at that, and you look at that sheik, and that sheik is like a 1950s perception of a modern yeah, yeah. Arabic yes. person. Like That guy is Welsh, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Oh, it wasn't played by John Reese davies <laughs> but but, but a similar Reece situation, Day. right? Yeah, I did. I did like that. They're like these horses are named for the stars, and then they say the horses. Each horse is named like ten mm-hmm. times. Oh, Rigel. Oh, Aldebaran. Oh, Rigel. <laughs> Wait. Oh, hold on. I had a question about that scene. One, it seemed like some pretty good improv because those horses were just acting up. He was just playing yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was nice. That was well done. But was there an implication of bestiality in that scene? When he uh, said that he was he was going to go see his darlings and his wives, and, and then they brought in the horses. See which one he was yes. going to embrace first. Yeah, yes. I think, I think that there is, but I don't think it was pur- purposeful. I th- oh, okay. can very much read it in there. So yeah. interestingly, I, though, if you're going into that area, mm-hmm. um, the guy who was playing Marsala was specifically told, "You need to act as though you are a homosexual lover spurned." When oh. 
when yeah, Ben Hur says totally there. when Ben Hur says he doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He was told to act that way. They didn't tell Charlton Heston that that's how he was approaching the role. Uh-huh. And so there's this another weird ambiguity going on between those mm. two. But that's great. That's that's absolutely 100% like when they get started like when those two first meet, I was like, dude, this is so gay. And just in <laughs> yeah. the best possible way, right? Here's two yeah. people who aren't allowed to be gay, but are so gay mm-hmm. for each other. Just, and then like politics get in the way. It's it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it, yeah. it really is. And the movie was was not disappointing in that sense anyway, because even though it's like never said out loud or, or consummated mm-hmm. in any way, you can read that the whole way through and it doesn't, damage the film in any way and at no point do they say oh well he's totally straight because it's clear that there's this thing between ben-hur and or between uh uh judah's sister and masala right Mm -hmm. but he sends them away like it's nothing and it's like it's not the sister he was interested in Mm -hmm. oh no it was judah ben-hur totally there in the beginning of the movie like well there is some there is some uh, connection here between these guys and some yeah. tension, like unresolved feelings that these two have not put out in the open. Oh, absolutely. And that's why that death sequence where, where Judah walks in and you see him and he's looking at him with this just cold indifference. That's heartbreaking, man. Oh, yeah. Because, you, I mean, you've had this whole buildup. And had this been something that was done in a modern time where you could actually get away with saying it, there could have been something there. Or, I mean, if it had been done with a male and a female character... You would have done the same thing. That is the death of their relationship, yeah. whatever mm-hmm. it was. That I mean, that's just rough. So why, why did this movie just become a huge success? Why did it win so many Academy Awards? Why did it just totally blow the box office? Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I mean, it, it's a good movie. I, the, it is. I, I think it's a well, well-made movie. You know, and I and I think uh, if 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 you take your critique ag- against the Christianity right. throwing down, it. I mean, besides the story, kind of gets away from itself at the end. But that first three hours, yeah, solid, solid movie. Regardless, I mean, if we go back to the Forrest Gump mm-hmm. story, Forrest Gump is a very long movie by itself. It's not three hours long, but it's two and a half, something yeah, like that. Like that. But it's like the, the entirety of the 1950s, 1950s and 70s. Yeah. <laughs> but if you follow the Ben-Hur story, there's not a whole lot you can take out of his adventures. Sure. Without the story having a big gaping spot going, what happened here? Right, right. I mean, they attempt to do it when we flash forward to them going to Rome. Right. And he meets... Uh, Caesar and it's great and then it then we flash forward and it doesn't say three months later he's just like you have been in the arena five times and you've done great things and so you know time has passed and Mm. and these kinds of things especially when the circus came about what twice a year something like that um so you know time has passed but and it was great because like thinking back on it it's like they did that when they're like you have become a great charioteer and it's like they blew all their budget on the last scene they couldn't have yeah. a, 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 a middle chariot race in which Ben Hur wins because they couldn't possibly afford well, it well but I think if they did have a middle chariot race it would negate or lessen the spectacle yeah. of the sure. final chariot oh, yeah. race I, I can see that and I also think that the chariot race and this is it's kind of like this way to the egress Mm-hmm. Or 
oh, by the way, if you tell everybody that the egress is the exit, you're going to look like a fool. Right. What I think happened is a lot of people went to this movie, got to the chariot race three hours into it, and was like, I'm going to tell everybody how great the chariot race is and right. not tell them how slow everything else is. Sure. Mm-hmm. So they get suckered into going to this movie. I think the chariot race is the pivot point around this whole movie. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Everything else <laughs> because could if, be... Because if you throw the chariot racing before the intermission, everyone just never comes back after the intermission's over. Exactly. That's probably exactly it. And I mean, it, it, the, the chariot race is incredibly influential. I mean, if you watch Grease, yeah. you can see... Yep. And by the way, that movie takes place before 1959. So those kids invented it and Ben-Hur stole it from them. Yeah. But... The, yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah, I mean, the chariot race is what people remember yes. from Ben-Hur mm-hmm. in the same way that, I guess, uh, weirdly connected, in Chariots of Fire, all anybody ever remembers is running on the beach, running on the beach towards each yeah. other. You know, like that, that's, it's like that scene that makes the movie right. and everything around it. I knew about the chariot race and Ben-Hur. I had no idea what Ben-Hur was about. Mm. Like at the beginning when it's like Ben-Hur, a story of the Christ, I was like, what? Yeah. I thought this was a story about, like, a Roman guy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what can you take away from this, sack? We said we were going to make this episode shorter than the movie, so... Well, we're we, close. We got a while. Um, what am I going to take away from this? I mean, there's something to say about spending a lot of money to make a whole lot of money. Yeah. it us- Sometimes uh, it works really well, and this is certainly one of those well, cases. Well, so I, I wonder... You know, in this day and age, you were talking about tens of thousands of people involved in the circus, um, the chariot racing. Yeah. You know, when when Lucas did it in um, Phantom Menace, they had Mm -hmm. miniature sets as well. But what they ended up doing was they built the stadium seats, but all the people were little uh, popsicle popsicle sticks Mm -hmm. painted with the faces Uh on there. And they had it all rigged up so that somebody on the edge could flip some levers up and down and people could do the wave and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. Um Instead of building a giant um, arena, mm-hmm. we would digitally do it yeah. today. Yeah. And we can't have stuff that is spectacle today on the screen, mm-hmm. but... For a smaller budget. They're working in our backyard. Yeah. Right? We, you and I could go out and shoot something in the backyard right now. Well, not right now. Not right but now. It's kind of dark. We could go out into the backyard and shoot <laughs> something right now, and with today's digital technology, we could be in a gladiator arena... With tens sure. of thousands of people around us, and we did it in our backyard, and we did it with a laptop computer. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's, that's why I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see, because this movie is slated to be remade and right. released in 2016. Right. Uh, I didn't do the calculation on inflation for budgets. for like So this is like $15 million right. in $58. Um, like $150 million. $150 million, sure. sure. I mean, like that, that, yeah. that, that would be a reasonable budget, I guess I would think. Uh, for the coming remake, because certainly it's not going to be three hours and forty minutes long. It'll be about two and a half. Um, eh. I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't. The, what's the longest movie? <laughs> how that's long released? is how long is frickin' uh, Hobbit and and uh, uh, Lord of the Rings stuff? That stuff's bordering on two and a half hours. Oh yeah, two and a yeah. half. We're, we're, I think King Kong was there. three hours. Was it? I think so. Uh, so it's not so if you of. tie Peter Jackson yeah. to it, it'll definitely hit the three-hour yeah. mark. Well, who's who's? It's uh, Mark Burnett and his wife, and I think oh. the only other person tied to it right now is Morgan Freeman mm-hmm. as uh, as the Sheik. As the Sheik, okay. And um, right. reprising his role from Robin Hood. Yes, 
And I believe a rumor was Gal Gadot as Esther. Oh, okay. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how they play that, I think. Oh, then um, then she'll just save Ben her from the chariot race. She'll just jump in jump there. In yeah. <laughs> do it, mm-hmm. Yeah. She'll just do it all herself without a lasso. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm really interested in with the Ben-Hur remake, after seeing this 59 version, which this movie apparently gets remade all the freaking time, because it was a silent yeah, there, film, and then it was, there was a film, series now it's too. Be. It was an animated movie. Yeah. yeah. I found that. Yep. Almost watched it, and just reviewed that instead, because <laughs> it's a lot shorter. Uh, but Rankin Bass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I think will be interesting about the remake of Ben-Hur, uh, it's, it's coming out at this time of a lot of these biblical narrative films. Uh, we saw Noah last year with Russell Crowe. Uh, Ridley Scott's getting in the game with Exodus coming out uh, with Christian Bale this December. Uh, you know, they had the Bible thing on the History Channel. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things. Why do, you, why do you think that is? Well, one, because it's a freaking money grab. Like, there is a... Cause, so this is why I think the Ben-Hur thing is interesting. Because when you venture into this territory, you get a lot of people, which I would classify them as a loud, loud, loud vocal minority, uh, coming against what they perceive as the historical accuracy of uh, of these stories. Uh, we saw it a lot in Noah, which if you haven't actually seen Noah, you should, because uh, it's, it's Pie Man. Um, Oh, Aronofsky. Aronofsky doing a film that's visually, he does some really cool things with the storytelling. I I enjoyed it. A lot of people hated it because he had like these cool rock monster things in there. Nice. I'm cool. I saw Evan Almighty. They have unicorns crying as the. No. Because they were too busy off playing and that's why they didn't (laughs) get it. You guys see Fantasia 2000? Yeah. That's like one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Where like Donald (laughs) Duck is like hurting all these guys and there's like a dragon and a unicorn and a couple (laughs) other weird monsters like laughing at him, like, getting into a boat. Yep. Uh, so I thought that was a good movie, but a lot of people were angry because uh, it took liberties with their source material. Right. Uh, most certainly, uh, Exodus gods and what's it? Gods and kings and gods and kings or whatever it's called uh, will most certainly take liberties with uh, the gods source and, kings, and yeah. gods and kings. Will most certainly take it. Before we look at the trailer, like I mean, the cold blaze the song behind the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it's like a knight's tale for the Bible. There yeah. you go. Uh, so that will most certainly be uh, cried foul by a lot of people. But I think with the Ben-Hur story, the way they go at it, if you're trying to get Christian money, which there's a lot of it yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. to, be, to, be, to be had, even if they hate it, and they'll go watch it and they'll complain about it, uh, that you get around this idea of needing to be specifically mm-hmm, biblically mm-hmm, accurate mm-hmm. because you're telling this side story that wasn't really there with these tangential incidents of right. Jesus. Uh, so I'm interested just to see what they do with it, I guess. But mostly, like, what's the reaction going to be from Christian people? Right. Um, they, they, You said they flipped their lid on Noah? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. And, how uh, well did the movie do? Uh, I think it made a... Made Did it money. make a crap ton? I, I think it made a lot of money. So Noah 2 is just around the corner? <laughs> yeah. It's, actually, it, they already made it. It's called Evan Almighty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, you said that the people directing, like slated to direct, have already done some Bible stuff. Yeah, they, they did, did the uh, miniseries, The yeah. Bible. The miniseries um, Bible on History Channel. Which, which was really good. I mean, yeah. visually very, very good. Yeah, uh, Scored by um, Hans Zimmerman. Wow. Which was weird because I, I was uh, at church and they're like, 
they like showed a thing for it. And I was like, why do I get the sense that Jesus is Batman in this? Nice. And then I was like, oh, it's because Hans Zimmer scores everything. Yeah. Well, uh, and Roma Downey, who is Mark Burnett's wife, was actually the brains behind Touched by an Angel. Right. And she was in she the was, mini She was the angel. She was an angel. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Noah made... Noah, 362 million on a $100 million... Uh, or, I'm sorry, uh, $125 million budget. Uh, that's worldwide, is what I'm oh, looking at. Oh, we're worldwide. Yeah, I'm looking at domestic. In like, the U.S., it didn't do so well. Twice over? No. It did yeah. twice over. Which, considering how they market Marketed. stuff today, it almost has to be $400 million in order to break mm-hmm. even. So, uh, But there are some, like, really... Uh, I mean, if you want to get, and, and this is kind of stuff I, I enjoy talking about. No, go ahead. Uh, uh, what the church was going against the movie, mm-hmm. which was a lot of, um, a lot of it was he put these like rock monster creatures, which were like the fallen angels that came and they wanted right. to be with the people after yeah. they were kicked out of the yeah, Garden of the Eden. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They don't call them that. They call them like these creatures things, but that's what people took them to be. But they're these really cool things that, uh, like band together to defend Noah's family so they can get on the ark. Cause they know that God is going to try to destroy all the earth. And so mm-hmm. the, there's this other band of people who, um, are trying to kill Noah because they have the boat that's going to save them. after right, right. And so they're all, all banding together. Uh, so they really hated those, which was a really cool, interesting part. Uh, but there's this other thing where Noah, they're actually on the ark and Noah sits down with his family and he's going to tell them the creation story. Uh, and you can watch it online. They have this clip of it and it is visually one of the coolest thing ever. Uh, spoilers. It is straight up evolution. The nice. way they, they portray it nice. and no one ever cried foul, which I couldn't understand because, uh, he like takes you through the evolution of the earth through like this like, evolving creature and you're just like above it oh, yeah. and it's really interesting well, you know the pope just a couple of weeks yep. ago was like mm-hmm. hey man evolution fits within yeah there's actually been i f- i think i was talking to some people uh two popes it was john paul ago. Yeah, yeah they said he was like totally cool with it too yeah 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 it was a former nazi pope that had a problem with <laughs> yeah, it. yeah 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 Oh, everybody, everybody was in the Hitler youth back in the day. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. true. He was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. 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 It's kind of not his fault. You were either in the Hitler youth or you were being stomped. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, Noah's interesting. What else did you take away um, from Ben-Hur? I actually really liked the score of this movie. It actually won an award, and apparently it's the only award... For, like, historical Roman or something that's ever won an Oscar. Really? Uh, I don't know. It was, like, a weird caveat. It's like, this is the only person that wore glasses that ever won an Oscar or something weird like that. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It actually put me to sleep twice because I watched it and I was tired. Uh, <laughs> and really, this movie, is it, they released this on LP because, I mean, because, sure. of course. Yeah. Uh, it was three three LPs long, which I don't even think that's true because this movie is three hours and 40 minutes long. It's probably 30% dialogue and right. 70% music of them right. like walking or traveling in boats and stuff sure. and chariots. Yep. Uh, but I really dug the score. Cool. Yeah. Did Aubrey watch it with you? Um, she watched it at the beginning of with me and then fell asleep. Okay. And then, yeah, she watched little bits and pieces with me. 
I have I have no idea if she liked it because every time I think she likes it, then I ask her, and she's mm. like, "No, not really." Um, so, but she, she I didn't think say would, she hated it. I think it'd be interesting to see a modern religious person's take on this movie. Mm-hmm. I just well, I think it would be just to see which, how that aligns. Which religion with are we talking? Any take any religion, uh, you know. But take take I think the the two big ones. Let's take the Jewish and the um, Christian, mm-hmm. whatever denomination you want to throw in there. Sure, all of them. Um, <laughs> General, yeah, yeah, and just see what their reaction to the movie is. I because I, th- I, th- I really think that people would have. I think you would get a, a very varied feedback on this. Mm. Oh, I mean, yeah, I would. Uh, in the portrayal of the characters and portrayal of the religion in the yeah. uh, context of the time, I, th- I think you would just have a very different. Are you? Are you? Oh, how are you? Lenny? You think it'd be like a positive, or you think it'd be negative, based solely on the religious aspect of the film? I think if you ask people to watch it from that religious aspect, and mm-hmm. and you identified them as we want people who identify as religious in these categories, yeah, um, I think that they would come in and and see this film very very differently. Well, fifty five years later, I think that there's a di- there's first of all different expectations of what it means right. to be religious. Right, that's what I'm saying. Because a but, modern someone who identifies as a modern Christian is going to be much 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 more liberal than the people who would have gone to the theater when this was in. Oh sure, was was first run in the box office. I will say that I I was a a little bit troubled by the the religious aspects of it, but only in the general sense that I don't necessarily like to mix religion and pop culture, mostly because I find that it's very seldom done well in a way that's you know unilaterally not offensive. Right, Right, and this story's undertones are. You know, very a kind of a very 1950s kind of, you know, conform and come around exactly. to the real yeah. way of thinking kind exactly. of vibe. Yeah, exactly. You know, but uh, Charlton Heston playing a Jew, I, I, that I can deal with. I'm, I'm kind of fine with that, really. I can, I can deal with that. But when you look at his character arc, there's so much going on that if they never spoke of the character, you know, if they, if they never made such a big deal about the character being Jewish – you tell the same story, you have the same arc, does it have the same effect? Was part of the reason that this is such a powerful story that the character was such an outspoken and you know strong leader amongst the Jewish community in Judea? I don't know. Well, you no, know, I it, think that I think that's that's the core of the story. Exactly. Or at least p- part of the core of the story. It's definitely something that is important to the way the story is told in this movie. And I think that that could be definitely seen as something problematic, especially, you know, six decades down the line. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think I've spoken out before. I'm not a huge religious person. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when it comes to religious films, I feel like they very much browbeat you mm-hmm. over the head to think that this way that the religion is being portrayed is sure. the only They're- way to think about the religion. And so to me, that is very disturbing on many many levels there's lots of there's lots of ways to incorporate religion into a movie and but a lot of like the big mainstream movies tend to have a very kind of uh, and by religion i do mean generally christianity right Mm -hmm. they tend to have a very christian positive attitude right 
Um, and that can very much feel preachy because they're like, see, here's all the reasons, here's like all the good reasons why when you see Jesus, you should be like, oh, mm-hmm. this is so great. Um, and for someone who's not very religious, it does feel like it's like, all right, all right, I get it, cool, all right, next mm-hmm. scene. It's like the next scene kind of does the same thing. It's like, all right, all right, all right, all right I got it. You yeah, guys, yeah. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I would probably feel that way regardless of whatever religious movie I was watching just because of the way I look oh, at sure. it. I it's mean, kind of, it's, you know, just to put this in a different perspective, um, I've watched a lot of foreign films from a very specific country. Mm-hmm. And when you watch those films from the country and you know that they're funded by the country's government, f- government yeah. you watch it a little bit closer and you can see how this is all very pro yep. this ideology. Right. That they want you True. to to mm-hmm. see. Well, I'll, I'll actually, and, I'll, and, and but if you take it out, it's a very enjoyable movie. Yeah. But just like Ben Hur, very enjoyable movie. But you look at it from that different prism, and you're like, oh, I see what they're doing here. I see how the censors went in and did this, 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 and this. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a great example from my point of view. Um, I'm I'm pretty liberal in my politics, right? And sometimes I'll sit there watching a Michael Moore documentary, and I'm like, just get on with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like just like. <laughs> Beats you over and over and over and it's so heavy handed sometimes that I'm like, I feel like more people are walking out of this theater as Republicans now because <laughs> this is like so over the top sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I know where you're coming from because this is really heavy handed in it, especially, especially looking at it from uh, being raised uh, in a Christian home and looking mm-hmm. at this film is like... Yeah. Uh, like even one of like Pontius Pilate's lines is like when they're in Rome he said something about like washing his hands I was like you have got to be kidding me yeah yeah (laughs) which is which is interesting because it's like religion is such a big thing in the world Mm -hmm. there someone has to have figured out a way to or maybe not maybe it's just like uh, people they put people into stereotypes so much that uh, like if you, I don't know. I just like there has to be a way to make a movie and put religion in it and not to be like crazy. But it's mainly it's just like just treat it like anything else in the world. Well, I was gonna say so. Uh, Kirk Cameron, um, <laughs> you oh, know, um, uh, oh, everybody remembers this where's this even going? <laughs> no, no, listen, 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 listen. So the, the same argument can be made about Rob Liefeld or whoever that people have a general dislike of. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cameron is very much extreme religion. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we were yeah. to say, let's pick a religion and who's the most extreme, Kirk Cameron would be the poster child of that, whatever we're talking about. Kirk Cameron makes a lot of religious-based films. Mm-hmm. Yes. Kirk Cameron makes a crap ton of money off those religious-based films. Yes. Do you know why? Yeah. Because capitalism? <laughs> yes, Capitalism. <laughs> Because what he does is he goes around to the religious groups and churches mm-hmm. and says, hey, this is what my film's about. Sure. You need to support this because it's furthering, furthering our message. Sure. Tyler Perry is kind of the exact same way. Oh, he did the same thing. He does the exact same way. I didn't realize, I mean, everybody's seen the Medea films, um, but I didn't realize until probably five years after I had left Atlanta that he owned a major movie studio. Mm-hmm. In Atlanta, and you're like, the guy that dresses up as a woman's got all this oh, money? Sure. Because he follows the same marketing structure. Sure. He takes the film, 
to the communities and says, this is something that's supportive of our community. Mm -hmm. You guys should go watch it and shop it around and ship it around and makes the money that way. I think for religious films, that's kind of how they have to do it is they have to find their audience. Kevin Smith is another good example. Mm -hmm. Tusk failed at the box office at 3000 theaters because they were marketing to a broad audience. Mm -hmm. If Kevin Smith went and did it like he did Red State, where he went around from town to town and he said, hey, my peoples, come and watch my movie, that movie would have been a huge success. Mm -hmm. So I think it's identifying your audience and not realizing that you have to go out into a broad world and force it upon everyone. You need to go find that audience. You need to market directly to them to get the response that you're hoping to get. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's, that's why any movie opens on select theaters, right? Sure. There is a there is a market for a Lars von Trier film, and it's not everyone. Yeah. Right. All right. Anything else, Zach? Um. No. I just got to open my script so I can actually end the show. Because that's it for this episode <laughs> of Zach on film. Have let, made let me f- ask you this. Okay, well, just so before we get out of here. Yeah. Oh, but did anybody, did anybody really hate this movie? No. 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 I, I, thought, no, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought the ending. Well. Yeah. Full full disclosure, <laughs> uh, iTunes rentals only last for twenty four hours. I get, somehow gamed mine because I didn't turn my Apple TV off for a while to get like six hours more. Still didn't get to finish it. I watched the last twenty minutes through random clips on YouTube <laughs> and AMC, uh, but I did pretty much get the whole thing. Uh, but uh, the ending was weird to me. But like the three hours before it, I really did enjoy, which surprised me, Matthew. I didn't hate it. Um, there are certain movies that I watch where I'm like, afterwards, I feel like if I had the choice, I'd just take the time back. And this is one of those. I, I did not hate it. It was an enjoyable movie. It was not necessarily an experience that I would have chosen to have knowing going in what it was, if that makes well, that, any sense mm, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Nope. If I knew what the movie was, I wouldn't have to see the movie. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Okay, so now that's the end of Zach on film. Uh, you can head over to Majorsports.com and find this podcast posting page and give any comments and start any discussions you want to about what we've uh, discussed while discussing Ben-Hur or anything you thought of while watching the movie by yourself or in a previous watching of the film. While you're there, click Amazon.com link. Holidays are coming up. Got to do a lot of shopping on there. Most likely, if you click on that link, nothing's going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to help keep this massive entertainment company that's up on the rise going and not, uh, you know, just making cool stuff for you every week. So... With that, that's the end of this episode of Zach on Film. Zach is scrolling through to find the next movie, which is Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke, next time on Zach on Film. <laughs>